Okay, welcome back. Thanks for joining us for hour number two, which uh, in this hour we always kind of... I thought I was a little closer to that than I was. <laughs> but anyway, we uh, we crank it up for the second hour, so I'm glad you decided to join us for a Friday backpatting day. Pat yourself on the back, say congratulations. Brand new weekend headed your way. Denise and I are going to uh, go on a kind of a little retreat this weekend. Uh, Greenville Baptist Association sets this up every year for pastors, church leaders, um, and people like me who um, you know, are part-time pastors. But um, anyway, they have it at, up at uh, Canuga, which is just, it's just a beautiful place up in the mountains. And I'm, I'm excited because Dr. Danny Aiken from Southeastern Seminary is going to be the speaker. And he is always just excellent. Plus, he's just a great guy. Um, I, I'm glad I'm going to get to see him this weekend and just spend a, at least a Friday and Saturday thinking about things that are more heavenly than they are earthly. Can't do that all the time, but uh, occasionally it's good to go away and do that for a weekend. I wanted uh, Noah to make a point that he made but before we move on from our truth discussion and our doubt. You're talking about doubts in the last hour. Uh, he, he made a great point about how doubts can actually assist the truth, and I think it needs to be heard. So tell them what you said. Yeah, so where does our doubt come from? It, it comes from evidence that is against what we think, or at least looks that way. Yeah. But when we, when we get that evidence, it makes us question. But those questions can actually lead to answers. So I talked about the Catholic Church. They assumed that the earth was the center of the universe and that everything evolved around that. They actually had no biblical basis for that. They just kind of assumed it was so. But for so long, they didn't allow themselves to doubt that. They just said, oh, this is true because this is what we've always thought was true. But instead, when you let that doubt, you know, creep in, but not in a bad way, then you question it and you have Galileo and all these people making the discoveries. And you see, okay, earth isn't the center of the universe, but that's not actually contradicting the Bible. And that's not a problem. That is the truth, and now that you know the truth, it reinforces your faith, and that's what doubt can do. It's not, it's not always a bad thing. Once you find those answers, you don't have right. to doubt the same way forever. Yeah, that's, that's a great point, and that's kind of what I was trying to say, and you, you said it much better with that illustration. Doubt can be a pathway to a deeper faith, uh, a better understanding of the truth, if you, if you treat it properly. Um, you know, in the Catholic Church, of course, uh, the you know they kind of had a little problem treating it properly at the beginning because they they executed people who were questioning the orthodoxy of the church. So we probably shouldn't do that. That this should be an example for us that we should uh, open our minds to the possibility of something being true that we before um, thought was false. You know, um, there is the the way that they got that from the Bible was primarily of the story of. Um, Moses in the battle that Joshua was fighting where the sun didn't go down. You know, they, they would say, they would make the point that, or it was the, it, the, the Bible spoke of, of the sun as going down or coming. So that would indicate that it rotated around the earth. And that, and, and so people, critics and cynics will point to that and say, see, the Bible's not inerrant because well, no, it never said the Bible. If it had said that the um, you know the sun is revolving around the earth, then you'd you'd have a direct contradiction. 
But when the Bible simply says that the sun didn't go down or didn't set, that's not making a statement about um, you know the universe and the solar system and how it works, the geo or heliocentric nature of it. The, the, when the Bible says that, it's describing actuality, what what was happening, um, and it wasn't making a statement about those other things. So anyway, that's a great point. Um, I don't know of a, of a person that aggravates me more in life today, and I, and I try to keep my aggravation level down because nobody wants to walk around and just think about things that frustrate them all the time. So I try to never think about Colin Kaepernick because if I think about Colin Kaepernick, I immediately get angry and I get frustrated because it, you look at this guy and he is a failed football player, okay? If, if you want to strip all of the stuff away, Colin Kaepernick is a failed football player. And when he failed at football, he created a new career where he could make as much money as if he had actually won the Super Bowl and been the MVP. He's now the MVP of race baiting. He's the MVP. MVP. He makes a living off of pointing out that everybody around him is racist. And what what kind of career is that? I mean, what do you what do you, what do you do when you bring your kids, you know, up on your knee and you're by the fireside and you say, "Look at my life, Johnny. I I made all this money and you're going to inherit this family fortune because I convince people that everybody's a racist." Aren't you proud? I just I I I can't imagine that conversation. But he actually now has gone out in public he was adopted, okay? He was he's he's somebody that was an, an an orphan. So Colin Kaepernick now is accusing his white adoptive parents of racism and problematic behavior. I cannot imagine the level of ingratitude, the level of just total if if there's I'm gonna make up a word, jerkness, okay? When you're a jerk you must be filled with jerkness in order to be the jerk that you are. He on the jerkometer, he's got to be up somewhere near the top. I mean, he's got to be running over with jerkness in order to make a statement like that. How do you go out in public when you were you were adopted by parents who then loved you and raised you? He doesn't deny that. He says, it, it, well, here's what he said. The one-time Super Bowl starter who began the trend of protesting the national anthem before games made the change in a CBS News interview that aired Thursday and in his new comic book about it. Now, I do, I, I do agree that he should be writing a comic book because he's a comic book character. You know, comic book characters are they're made-up people, and he is a ma- he has made himself up. He has created a persona that's not real, that doesn't exist in the real world. So coming out of a comic book is a great place for him to be. Can you tell that I'm a little bit frustrated? Okay, okay. Gary's giving me the dial-it-down sign over down. here. down. Yeah, but God, I'm sitting there looking at his picture, and he just looks so smug. And so, well, let me just trash my white parents while I'm out here doing something. It's a nice day. You know, the sun's shining, the birds are saying, I think I'll trash my mom and dad in an interview. After all, they adopted me. It was in an interview. The interview aired yesterday. Um, 
and his new comic book is called Change the Game. I could think of a better name. Okay. Uh, he attributed disagreements with his parents about, among other things, hairstyles to their racism. So his parents were racist because he didn't want, they didn't want him as a young person, a, a kid, to have cornrows. He wanted to cornroll his hair. And so because his parents questioned that, they're racist. See, that's what I'm saying about this idea about racism. When you live to do one thing, and that's to turn every issue into racism, that's the only way you can live and look at loving parents who adopted you, took you, took you from being an orphan to having a home, a stable environment, people that loved and cared for you, to call them racist, you really have to be so far in your head, in your jerkness, that you, you don't have better sense than to call somebody a racist because they go, well, at eight years old, I don't know if you need to be corn rolling your hair just because you like, you like I, uh, Alan Iverson and Alan Iverson corn rolls his hair. Uh, you, you know, that, that requires racism. What if maybe all it requires is parents trying to guide their, their son into a specific direction in terms of what they think is best for him and age appropriateness? I mean, I, how about that? How about looking at it that way instead of, of just deciding that it must be because they're racist? But I'm telling you, when, when you are a hammer, everything is a nail, and he is a racial hammer. And so everything has to be about race, everything, even his parents questioning whether he ought to be corn rolling his hair at eight years old. He said to uh, CBS News, I know my parents love me, but they were still very problematic things that I went through. Oh, what a traumatic life he's led. It's just been terrible. I mean, where else? He hates America. Where else but in America could you make a career out of being a, a, a race baiter instead of being a football player when you've determined, you, when it's been proven to the world that you can't be one? I mean, I, you know, it, it, yeah, he made it to the Super Bowl. He's a lot better than I would ever be. I get that. But let he, I think he never could come to grips with the fact that he was not able to maintain that level. Okay, fine. Go be a sports commentator. Um, go change the world. Do you know how many former athletes are out raising money for uh, causes and helping people in the world? I mean, do you really, did you really have to take your life and go from a pro football player that couldn't quite make it to being somebody that throws race in the face of, of everybody because you created that space for yourself? You created that career? Mr. Kaepernick, this is according to the article coming from the Washington Times today, Mr. Kaepernick is biracial, born to a white mother who gave him up for adoption after his black father split during the pregnancy. Um, do you know how many times that happens? Do you know how many people are the victim, how many children are the victim of the fact that the father doesn't hang around? And I'm not talking about this has nothing to do with race in terms of whether the father stays or not. Most of the time when the father stays, or at least a lot of the time, mothers feel overwhelmed and they have to either get an abortion 
or give their baby up for adoption. Now, there are a lot of heroic single mothers out there who decide to have their babies and love their their baby their children and raise them into adulthood and they should be celebrated because that's what makes our culture strong when you make a decision for life and then back it up with compassion and pouring yourself out for another person instead of in a moment saying I've got a problem called pregnancy and I'm going to solve it by killing the baby. So anyway, biracial Rick and Teresa Kaepernick. He was Adopted at the age of five weeks. And he's biracial, okay? He's, he has a white mother and an African-American father. He was raised by white parents. Where in that equation is racism? You have to, you've got to shove it in there to have any racism. And if, you're, if your complaint that your pro, uh, parents were problematic is that they didn't want you to corn roll your hair at eight, then you're the one that's got a problem, not your parents, not the culture, not society. You've got the problem, and his problem is he's a jerk. Um, I'm, I'm going to come back again. You say the best stuff off the air, but it's because I won't shut up long enough when I'm talking to let you jump in the conversation. So yet, what you were saying about uh, Colin Kaepernick and about race, um, you, you were talking about how that if his hairstyle is the big deal for racism, we've come a long way, baby. It's kind of... <laughs> right, right. If the bar is this low to what we're griping about, I mean, we always hear, especially from the left, the lack of progress in America. But actually, we have come a long way, and that's neglected by this victim mentality of just working our way, reaching every possible way that people could be marginalized and, and this is one of those like we're, we're down to talking about a hairstyle i'd say if that is the biggest problem and that's a newsworthy story then that is significant progress yeah it is we're we're we, we've come a long way baby and here's here's the other thing you 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 made another good point i just gave colin kaepernick his his fame back because you he you know noah was telling me I hadn't thought about him in a long time until he brought this story up. So here I am. I'm out here because I'm aggravated about him, and he's banging around in my head. I'm actually giving him what he wants, which is i got to have a little news time. I think I'll go out and throw the rents under the bus. That ought to get me some that'll, – that'll make Tony Beam just lose his mind, and he'll talk about me for 15 minutes, and I can get back in the spotlight. So anyway, could you – if you got a question or something, you can ask Noah. <laughs> Here, this is a great way to produce a radio show, but I'm trying to text back and forth with the attorney general's office, and it's something they've got to have an answer for right now. Really? So I've got a I've got a text here mm-hmm. for a second. Yeah. So what'd you think of that picture of the mod squad, Noah? <laughs> well, it kind of reminded me of the the Breakfast Club, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, a little bit. I don't know if it was just uh, like the camera or, or what it was, but. <laughs> Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna bring you a lot of things from the '60s and '70s, and you know, try to you know, because there's some things there that you probably don't know. Like Colin Kaepernick, he was th- saying that Colin, you know, not a great quarterback, but Colin at least took his team to the Super Bowl. My team hasn't gone, and since we had a quarterback named Fran Tarkington, who you've probably never heard of. Nope, I have not. <laughs> I have not. That's what I thought. It's been a long time. We better get back to the Super Bowl. He doesn't even know who my team is because of that very fact. So now, yeah, he's done. Well, look, let's not talk about getting back to the Super Bowl when you've got a Dallas Cowboy fan sitting over here. You know, this is mm. th- this is not. 
It, it, it's it's really hard for me to think about how long it's been since we've been. Did you while we're talking about football? Did you see that um, Aaron Rodgers? There, the Jets are going out to meet with Aaron Rodgers to have a conversation and to see if the Packers are willing to trade him to the Jets. Can you see Aaron Rodgers in a Jets uniform? It's hard to see him in any other uniform. I know, but be fine with me. Yeah. Get him out of our division, send him out to the Jets. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, so hey, then, the Jets have a good defense. They have yeah. really well, they do. shorted up. If they had him on the other side, they could be pretty uh, problematic. I, yeah. Aaron Rodgers in a Jets uniform would be a lot easier to watch than Zach Wilson on any given Sunday, so <laughs> no problem. <laughs> that's a real. That's a good point. And you've got um, – what's the guy's name from Baltimore? Just uh, Lamar Jackson. Yeah, Lamar yes. Jackson. He's – you know, they, they put the franchise tag on him on Tuesday, I think, of this week. But the thing is, it's got an option that if somebody comes up with more money, he can go, and then they've got the uh, – Baltimore would have the option of matching the money, but if they, they decide not to, they can let him go. So where is Lamar Jackson going to end up? Is he going to stay in Baltimore? Um, I, you know, I have no idea, but when they put the franchise tag on him, a bunch of people started dropping out that had shown some interest. Miami – a uh, couple of other teams said, nah, not with a franchise tag. Because you know they're going to have to pay big money to get him. So And they still might not get him. So. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting. Foot, NFL is going to be, uh, the, this offseason, there's going to be a lot of shuffling going on uh, because there were teams that were so close and just didn't quite make it. What, what story were you looking for? When you, you were just a minute ago in the break, you said you were looking for a story. Uh, the Richard Sherman story or? Richard Sherman. Oh, co- uh, talking about from uh, uh, where he's going mm-hmm. to end up. Well, no, he's uh, he's retired now, but he was talking about Lamar Jackson and his contract situation. Oh, okay. And on Twitter, he's been saying, in his view, that one of the reasons Lamar Jackson is not getting the fully guaranteed contract he wants is because of race Race. and he's comparing him to joe burrow people talk about lamar jackson's injury history he's actually missed 10 of his last 22 games yeah which is a lot in the nfl they only play 17 games a year so that's a lot in backyard football (laughs) yeah that's a lot lot anywhere and also now that they put the franchise tag on him it's two first round picks that teams have to send over plus the money right so him trying to make this about race and not just about football teams trying to win if he really thinks that that teams care more about discriminating uh, their quarterback than actually winning football games and making millions of dollars from their fans then that's a sad perspective that he has on life and and i totally disagree well that's it when when you're a hammer everything's a nail and right the the race hammer uh, you, everything has got to be about racism and, or an opportunity to bring it up. Or as, as Ben Shapiro says, racism. When he gets into that, it just because sometimes you'll just go on and on. <laughs> so it's, it, it is kind of sad commentary on where we've landed. All right, New York prosecutors are signaling, according to Daily Wire, that Trump is likely going to face criminal charges um, and Trump responds. Can you imagine that Trump would respond to something like that? I can't imagine he would have anything to say about it. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg's office has reportedly signaled to President Trump's legal team that he could face criminal charges for his alleged role in hush money payments to porn star T- Stormy Daniels during the 2016 presidential election. 
Uh, this is by Ryan Saavedra over at Daily Wire. Now, keep in mind, this thing's been going on for five years, okay? They've been trying to find a path to charge him with something over this for five years. They, one prosecutor looked at it and finally quit. I mean, just basically said, you know, I, I can't, I can't put this square peg in this round hole that you're wanting me to do over here. Now, this prosecutor, the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, uh, is evidently getting ready to file charges. Does that mean he's guilty of anything? No. Does that mean they can prove it in court? No. It just means that they will actually charge him with something. And this guy, the Manhattan District Attorney, will become a superstar among the left the minute he goes to a microphone and announces charges. Uh, the report noted that the offer for Trump to testify almost always indicates an indictment is close and that it would be unusual for any district attorney to give a potential defendant that notification without ultimately seeking charges against them. Now, if, you, if you've forgotten, it's okay. I get it. If you've forgotten what's, what all this is about since it happened five years ago um, plus now, uh, a little bit of refreshers probably do here. The criminal investigation is into Trump's alleged $130,000 hush money payment to Daniels, who says that she had an affair with Trump that lasted, uh, that, that case has lasted five years. The case involves a payment that former Trump attorney Michael Cohen, who pled guilty to felony charges related to the payment, made to Daniels during the election. Daniels' representatives contacted the National Enquirer about her story during the campaign, but the publication was not interested in buying the exclusive rights to it. Yeah, that's because the owner of the National Enquirer was more interested at the time in publishing lies about Ted Cruz's father being involved in the assassination attempt against John F. Kennedy because he was in, in line with a bunch of Cuban radicals. I mean, the, the National Enquirer, Trump and the owner of the National Enquirer were big buddies. And so the National Enquirer kind of became the Trump rag publication uh, during the election. Just whatever stories were out there, Ted Cruz was accused in National Enquirer of having adult, adulterous relationships with five different women. And, and none of it was true. You notice you've never heard another word about it after the it came out and the accusations came out? The reason is because they were all manufactured and, and they don't care. It's not just journalists on the left that are, are not truthful. There are journalists on the right who will sell out for political reasons and publish a pack of lies. So this case, though, um, the problem for Trump centers around how the company paid Cohen for the hush payment. The expense was listed as a legal expense, and the company cited a retainer agreement with Cohen. The retainer agreement did not exist, and the reimbursement was not related to any legal services from Cohen, thus setting up a potential misdemeanor criminal charge of falsifying business records. That's it. That's what I wanted to get to. This is, this is going to be the grand triumph of this Manhattan attorney general, their, their attorney's office, they're, they're going to charge Trump with a misdemeanor of falsifying business records. That's about what they can get out of it. Now, is that going to drive him out of the race? No. In fact, it will improve his standing in the ratings. This is what these people don't understand. The more they come after him, the more they're raising his platform and credibility. If, if people want to charge him, the assumption by his base and by people that are sort of 
uh, dancing around the base. You know, they they're not real sure about DeSantis. Uh, they 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 think it's going to be Trump or DeSantis, but they're not really in. The more charges, the more stuff that gets blown up, uh, a misdemeanor charge against him in this uh, particular instance would simply elevate him and give him more of an advantage politically. Uh, and that's when, when Trump's in your head banging around, it's like me having Colin Kaepernick banging around in my head. I don't always come out with the best the best analysis because he's up there. And, and this is what's happening with all these people that are trying to find charges against him. It's like a race to get to be the superstar in progressive world. You, if you just find some charges that will stick against Donald Trump, and you can write your own ticket to whatever progressive thing you want to do. So Thoughts? Yeah, you talked about reading down in the article, and you were like, wow, that's it. But I think what a lot of these news organizations are counting on is people just seeing his name in the headlines and story, whatever it is, different. It rings to me like every other Trump story could have alleged, we think maybe Trump might have done something wrong, so let's investigate, and I really hope that we find something so that we can put him away. But they, they just want to put these headlines out there so that less involved voters see all these headlines. They say, well, you know, I don't know that much about Trump, but I always see him in the news. Trump did this. Trump did that. Orange man bad. I'm not voting for him. Yeah. 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 But but that's there. There there are people that are going to think that way. And then there are people going to think the other way. They're going to they're going to give credit to him because the the media is coming after him. But you're right. Their motivation is is there is the orange man bad scenario. They They think they can heap enough garbage on top of Trump that it's going to cover him up. And the thing about it is, it ends up covering up the people that are doing the heaping. It's kind of like he's got this this shield around him, and everything hits the shield and ends up being going back on the people that came after him. Think about the Justice Department. I mean, they put out a special prosecutor to go after Trump because of documents that are top secret classified that he took to Mar-a-Lago. Well, what happens? Ends up everybody that's left the White House so far that we can think about probably had a pocket full of classified documents. So it's kind of hard for the prosecutor to go after him and not go after President Biden or not go after Mike Pence or not go. I mean, you could go back. I guarantee you that if you had a warrant and went and searched Michelle and um, Barack Obama's house, you'd probably find that they've, you know, maybe even papered the bath, one of the bathrooms with classified documents. I mean, I'm starting to think that everybody who's ever walked through the White House probably has a classified document. I might have some at home because I actually went on a White House tour a couple of times, and there was some stuff that I picked up there in the gift shop. I wonder if I need to go check, see if those are classified documents. People are throwing those things around like there's nothing to it. And so there's there's no way that any kind of scandal like that is going to is going to hurt the president. You, He said one time, do you remember this, Noah? He made the statement. He said, I could kill somebody, uh, commit murder in the middle of Broadway down in New York, and my supporters would not leave me. And I, I think that's probably true. I mean, that was hyperbole. But the, the people that are really, truly the hardcore, it's Trump and nobody else ever, I, I think he could probably do just, do just about anything and still retain their support. But stuff like this, when you're talking about penny-ante stuff, that people are t- – they, they've heard about 
this. You know, if this was a new allegation, if nobody had ever heard of Stormy Daniels, if, uh, you know, this came to light because of new documents that have been revealed, then that might actually have some traction. But going back and digging up something that's been gone over and over and over in the press, I don't even know. I think Stormy Daniels is in a convent somewhere. I don't, I don't even know. I have no idea where she is. I don't think she became a nun. But she's certainly not been in the news. Um, and, and so to dig this up and go after him doesn't make any sense to me. But then again, it's Trump. So stuff about Trump often doesn't make sense to me in a lot of ways. Kristen Eckemer is a senior media analyst at the Heritage Foundation. And so she writes a lot for the Daily Signal, which is Heritage's kind of outlet to get their message out. And uh, today she's got a column there called FDA's Procedure for Approving Abortion Pill Was Unlawful Lawsuit Claims. So let's dig into this a little bit because this would be huge if if they could prove that the FDA violated their own procedures and they would have to rein in some of these um, uh, rule changes that have allowed the abortion pill to become so readily available. Um, if, if they have to rein in some of that, it could be a big step forward for the pro-life movement. Abortion rights advocates and the Biden administration are sounding the alarm after the filing of a Texas lawsuit that challenges the decades-old Food and Drug Administration approval of mifepristone, the first step of the FDA's two-pill abortion process responsible for nearly 50% of all abortions in the U.S. In South Carolina, it's over 50%. Um, we're, in, I think, in most states. In the first-of-its-kind lawsuit, four national medical associations and four doctors ex- experienced in treating pregnant and post-abortive women argue that the FDA's accelerated approval of the drug more than 20 years ago in 2000 was unlawful because the agency failed to abide by its legal obligations. So, you know, you think about what would be the, resp- the result here. Uh, Alliance Defending Freedom say that they're beginning to hear more and more doctors that are speaking out and particularly about the dangers because uh, the plaintiffs argue that with the approval of, of, of the drug, the FDA completely ignored the potential effects these pills have on the developing bodies of adolescent girls. They also cite what they say was the, ne- the negligence of the FDA which disregarded evidence that chemical abortion drugs cause more complications than surgical abortions, according to the Guttmacher Institute. Now, that's Planned Parenthood's, you know, first cousin. Uh, The Institute is a pro-abortion research group that was spun off from Planned Parenthood. Okay, so if if we can, if, if there can be some type of determination that that drug needs to be removed from the market, and believe me, I... People that are in crisis pregnancy center work, um, doctors that will come and be honest about cases that they have seen where the abortion pill has caused serious physical ailments for young women who take the pill, plus the fact that it, it, it is a terrible process. It is much more risky than going into an abortion clinic. So what's the upside? The upside is... It's readily available. You can circumvent, in some ways, abortion laws in the states where you can get this pill through the federal government because federal law trumps state law. 
Um, and so, and, and it takes away the shame factor. I mean, one of the things that can keep women from deciding to have an abortion is that they actually have to make an appointment. They have to go into a clinic. And, and to do that, the whole process of having an abortion is very public and very shaming. Uh, but you get a pill at home. And you can do this in, in the privacy of your home. More and more women are inclined to do that, even though the risks to their health are greater than going to an abortion clinic. Yeah. I mean, going in public, it involves a lot more thought process than just going in the store right. and, and, and them receiving it. I think one thing we have to ask is if these pills are taken off the market, will that just result in a different type of abortion? You talked about yeah. how it'll at least, they'll be thinking about it more, so it, it will probably be less. So this this might be a win, but maybe only a small win. Yeah, yeah. This is not going to be, you know, obviously this is not going to roll back abortion, but it will uh, lessen the avenues available to undermine states that have banned abortion or have greatly restricted abortion. And I think that's the whole point here. In a related story, California Governor Gavin Newsom has decided to rescind a $54 million contract they have with Walgreens, not because Walgreens won't sell the abortion pills in California, but because they're not going to sell them in 21 other states. And so California has decided, well, you won't, if you're not going to hold those states accountable and, and force them to, 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 take, to be allowing you to sell the pill, then we're going to rescind our $54 million contract we have with you. Yeah. Well, that's, that's progressive thought. I mean, you know, as far as they're concerned, any threat to abortion. Abortion is the sacrament of progressives. Progressive, there are people who treat pro- progressive thought as a religion, and religions have sacraments. And the sacrament religion of progressives is the death of unborn children. I mean, it's almost like they've, you know, we've talked about this before. People accurately say this is causing our children to pass through the fire of Moloch. You know, the, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm I'm looking for? Uh, Philistines. You know, they they would actually, the god Moloch and, and many of the residents of Canaan, which is one of the reasons that, God brought the judgment on Canaan and gave the land to the Israelites because of the barbaric practices that were going on there. And part of that practice was they would heat up an idol, the, the, the god Molech. It would, it would be some type of metal, and they would build a fire and heat that idol until it was red hot. And then they would take a baby and lay it on the altar, and the baby would burn to death. I mean, that's the kind of—and and when you think about it, uh, chemical abortions really achieve the same thing. I mean, there it, it's it is a um, it, it it's almost like a burning uh, purging of the womb through chemicals rather than through fire. So I mean, it's a it's it's a terrible thing. But let me since you brought that up, let me let me dovetail that into the last story I wanted to deal with today. This is coming from uh, the Federalist, which I thought this was a good analogy. Uh, David Harsani wrote this yesterday. When DeSantis targets a corporation, he's a fascist. When Democrats do it, they're heroes. Now, think about this. DeSantis went after Disney. Why? Because Disney opposed um, a bill in Florida, and they got involved in politics. They, you know, the 
quote, don't say gay bill, despite the bill never mentions the word gay or stops anyone from saying gay, they called it the don't say gay bill because that that helped them to promote their cause. Doesn't have to be true. If you're a progressive, truth doesn't matter, only the end result. So they lied about the bill. Um, it was passed by both houses in, in Florida, and DeSantis signed it as governor. So it, it, it's a bill that, that limits the amount of sexual information that young children can get up to the third grade. Um, so Disney it comes in, and they decide to get in on the side of not passing the bill and supporting this idea that it really is a don't-say-gay bill. So DeSantis turns around and says, okay, uh, you've had this little world. Your Disney world has been outside of the regulation of the state because we've given you this protected status. We're going to take it away. So, oh, the howling. I mean, I remember Newsom coming out and just pitching a fit, called Ron DeSantis a fascist because he made that decision, and the legislature followed him by pulling that, that special status away from Disney World. Now you've got Newsom out there. He says he's going to do the same thing. He's going to force a business to take an action, which is, is what DeSantis was doing with Disney, for pushing them back over a political discussion. Newsom comes along. He does it. He says it. And all of a sudden, he's a hero among the left. I mean, they have absolutely no standards. Uh, they, have, they have nothing except, you know, if they didn't have um, – the, the fact that they were hypocrites, I don't know what philosophy they would actually hold to. Democrats like Jonathan Chait claimed that the threat alone is what post-Trump authoritarianism looks like on MSNBC, talking about what uh, DeSantis did. But there's been no, so far, the left has done nothing but praise uh, Governor Newsom for going out and attacking Walgreens because they're not going to sell an anti uh, or an, an abortifacient in 20 states that have laws curbing unfettered abortion. In other words, Walgreens believes in federalism. Walgreens believes that states have a right, which is what the Supreme Court said in Roe versus Wade, to determine what their abortion laws are going to be, and Walgreens is not going to aid people in breaking the law. But Newsom says, okay, if you're not going to help people break the law in these 20 red states, in our blue state, we're going to come after you. We're going to, we're going to make doing business in, in California so difficult that we'll just drive you out. And you know what? Fine. If, if Newsom wants to keep driving business out of California, then it, it's going to be one of those situations where with the last person leaving California, please turn out the lights because they're just – they're, they're making policy in that state, making it harder and harder for businesses to operate. They won't deal with homelessness. They won't deal with crime. And by doing that, they're driving businesses out of California. They're putting uh, onerous taxes, just incredible tax rates on business. They're taxing business out of California. So now they're just going to they're going to legislate by um, governor edict. They're going to legislate businesses out of California like Walgreens. How much longer can they do this without California just going under? I mean, I just find that to be – I thought the purpose of a governor was to make decisions that were in the best interest of all the citizens of the state. Well, that's true unless you're a progressive. Then your responsibility is to make decisions based on what's most progressive, 
what's going to get you the platitudes and the uh, the applause, I should say, of the progressive world, then that's what makes you popular. It's just, it's a bad thing. It's hypocritical. Noah, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for being here for these two days. Oh, yeah. Thank you for having me. Well, I hope you've enjoyed it. And oh, good luck, man. I wish you all the best um, on your career. Uh, stay in touch with me. Let me know how you're doing. I will. So you're a sophomore. Yes, sir. Uh, well, let's just go ahead. You, let's do – well, we can't do this again next year because I'm not going to be here. Um, I, I almost forgot myself there. But we'll figure out – I'll figure out a way to have you on the podcast. All right. Because uh, I would enjoy that. Uh, by the way, what I'm talking about, if you haven't heard, his radio talk, 919-897, is changing format on March March 31st. We're, we're kind of coming up on that date. Uh, that's Gary Miller's retirement date. So they're going to change this to a music format. But if you want to keep following this show because you enjoy it, you'll be able to follow it on Facebook Live. Uh, we're going to have a platform over on Rumble. Um, we'll also have a website, and the website's going to be drtonybeam.com. That's drtonybeam.com. You can go there. It's not up yet, but when it launches, you'll be able to stream this program live from 7.30 to 8.30, Monday through Friday. I'm going to do it live, and then I'll put it on uh, as, a, as a podcast. And if you want to go subscribe, it'll be free. You can subscribe to it without paying. It'll come to your smartphone, your tablet, and then you can listen to the show whenever you want to. Thanks to all the callers today. You made the show a lot better by weighing in. I appreciate the conversation. Thanks again to Noah for being here. God bless you. And we will see you on Monday. Hope you all have a great weekend. I plan to. So join us again on Monday.